Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to tournament poker strategy. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Fez Buddy and Killingbird. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Killing Bird here with you, as always, joined by my co-host, Ron Fezbuddy. What's up, my friend? Sup? Long time no <laughs> speak. That's my, new, that's my new thing. I'm going to just say sup. <laughs> I don't like it. I disapprove. I don't like it. All right. I'll, go back to my, I'll go back to my nerd my nerd persona. What's I, up, man? I really wish Big Dog was here to make fun of you for saying that. <laughs> I know. Well, it's been a while since we podcast, so... <laughs> Give me a break, okay? I didn't know what to say. I haven't. I, don't, I forgot how to say hello. That means you should have. You should have had time to come up with a better tagline. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or catch Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. All right. How um, you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a long time. I uh, since the last call, I've sold everything I've owned, driven across the country, and moved to Las Vegas. So things are going crazy. <laughs> it's nuts. Fun, yeah. but I'm sure. Yeah, it was it, it was a last second decision, uh, and it happened all very fast. But been enjoying it, and uh, now it's starting to cool down a little bit here too, which is actually kind of a nice transitional change. So, uh, yeah, it's cool. Uh, it's not 118 degrees anymore. No, but it still gets up to about 105. But in at night, it actually cools off pretty nice. So, right. we're getting 94. Into... Yeah, 94 in New York City today. So uh, I can sympathize. But okay, all right. You need, no one's listening to this for the weather report. So no, this is true. <laughs> um, so yeah, so this is gonna be a cool podcast. I'm looking forward to doing this today. Um, you know, mo- a lot of our podcasts just feature uh, our fellow TPE dudes or pros or whatever. Uh, I, I prefer brethren. <laughs> Breath, our, yeah. our TPE brethren. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, <laughs> it's actually. I, I was trying to think today. I didn't go back and look at the list, but I was trying to think of how many times we've had any sort of quote-unquote non-TPE pro on the show. And I think the only one I could think of was Rob Salaburu. I don't know if you could think of any offhand. But... I remember Rob, um, and we had uh, Pierre on, um, TPE member, oh, not, right. not pro, but yep. hey, the guy's probably won more money in poker than me last year, so... <laughs> he definitely won <laughs> so more than could... me, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I love your tweet on how your bankroll challenge is going. Um, yeah. 5,000 to zero, and you're halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little closer after this past weekend. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so this is going to be fun. Some people will recognize our guest from uh, possibly some other podcasts or from some World Series of Poker coverage. Uh, he is uh, a professional comedian and a professional poker player, so it should be a cool combo to, to get into and dig into. His name is Clayton Fletcher. What's up, Clayton? How you doing, brother? Sup? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Hey, wait. <laughs> That's mine, man. That. <laughs> I like it. I'm going to use it. <laughs> uh, Thanks, uh, fantastic. I'm a huge fan. I've listened to every single um, episode you guys have ever put out, and it's just really awesome to be on the show. Um, the last one you guys did, you were saying how you're going to start doing this every week or two. So uh, here we are six months later. Good job. <laughs> we're killing it. <laughs> We had such good yeah. intentions, you know. Yes, yes the best intentions. Um, I, I, you can blame me. Uh, I am traveling like crazy for work, and 
it's just really hard to to sit down and do anything other than uh, than work right now. So my bad. You can you can all venture anger at me. You can tweet at me angry stuff. I I, I take it and I deserve it. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, the fans want the podcast, man. They want it. I know. I know. I know. I know. Well, we're here. We're here. Let's not squander our opportunity complaining, Clayton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that plan. Um, <laughs> So I'm at, yeah. Likewise, by the way, uh, to have you on the show, I, I know that um, Diego and I have both heard you on the, the Thinking Poker podcast. Always enjoyed those, and yep. Yep. Um, and you've had some nice runs in the World Series. So it's kind of perfect to get to uh, to chat. I know later on in the show we're going to talk about a couple of hands that you played in, in this year's main event, uh, where you finished 28th place. Um, I'm afraid to ask, but what was the pay jump from 28th to 27th? <laughs> It was about $50,000, but the pay jump from 28th to 1st was about $8 million. <laughs> So that one hurt more. Yeah. Way, way, to make, way to make our guests feel good and comfortable, Derek. <laughs> but you can feel with those lost opportunities. Hey, we, this is, he, he's heard the show. He knows how this goes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, just, we just beat up on each other at every possible moment. Yeah. Um, so before we get uh, into too much of the, of the poker stuff, I guess, let's talk a little bit about your background um kind of where you you know where you grew up where you came from how you got into poker and uh and, and then we'll kind of talk about the comedy stuff a little bit as well okay cool so um i grew up in baltimore uh shout out to andrew Brokus, my fellow marylander host Thank of the you. poker podcast and our mutual friend yep. um so growing up in baltimore i had an unusual childhood my father was a professional jazz musician and um, my mother was an expert in a lot of games, and one of them was seven card stud. She used to have uh, a home game. So upstairs we had like the colorful characters you might find in a in a home poker game uh, in downtown Baltimore, and then downstairs you have the colorful characters you might find in the jazz club. Nice. So wow. What an interesting picture that you're painting there. I could just, I just see like a '60s movie. Well, I guess I didn't mean to play that old, but I just see this, this, this like, this panoramic view of going for like, from like from one scene to the other. These crazy, colorful things going on. It's a really interesting, interesting uh, upbringing you must have had. Yeah, my brothers and I, um, we were kind of just in the middle of it. We're all around yeah. the same age. My parents like cranked out three kids in three years. Um, <laughs> wow. uh, yeah, really crazy. Three boys, and um, I'm the middle one. Uh-huh. And we uh-huh. were competitive, you know. So we would sit around the table, not just playing seven card stuff. Which, by the way, my mother would like check raise my allowance. Like, <laughs> you know, by far the best poker player in the house. And just because you were her son doesn't mean she was going to let you win. Right. Uh, you have to earn the value of a dollar one way or the other. Um, awesome. But you know, and we play other games too, like Neilborn and. Uh, cribbage, like uh, any kind of game you could play, but we all uh, sort of developed a love for playing games and then for discussing uh, strategies afterwards and sometimes even during the game. Like I remember playing chess against my older brother and he was really good at chess and he would like stop me and say, why'd you do that? Go back, take that back. Don't you see that you're exposing your bishop to, you know, whatever. And so that just was kind of a part of my life from a very young age was this kind of delving into game theory as it related to at the time seven cards stud but then we got into other forms of poker as well and uh by the time i was 21 i was ready to join my mom on my first trip to atlantic city uh, mm-hmm. which at the time was the closest gambling to baltimore the closest casino yeah. 
And uh, yeah, I remember it was $1, $3, spread limit, seven card stud. <laughs> <laughs> With your mom. It's <laughs> amazing. Well, my mom, my mom played a much bigger game. <laughs> but oh, <okay>. I <laughs> And uh, I got my feet wet that way. And I remember, uh, I remember like it was yesterday because it was my first time I'd ever been to Atlantic City, and I won like hundred and twelve dollars. And I just thought I was, wow. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Never, ne- never, never lost a, uh, since then, right? <laughs> first time winning, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm like one of those free rollers that never even put a dime on poker stars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, not quite, but sounds yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Of course. How did you um? How did you get connected to uh, Andrew and the Thinking Poker podcast? I've listened to you on that a couple of times. Um, you know, I really enjoyed your appearances and, and the, the the stories and and you you know jamming with 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 Andrew on hands. Uh, how, how did you get connected to, to Andrew? Oh yeah. Um. Thanks by the way. I appreciate it. Um. Yeah. Andrew. I mentioned Thinking Poker on another podcast. I was on a comedy show called Dennis Has a Podcast. Yeah. Um, he was talking to me about the podcast that I listened to. And I told him that, you know, you ask 50 comedians, I'm the only one who's going to give you these yeah. answers. And I, you know, I listed like your podcast and Andrew's podcast. And somebody told him, you know, there's some comedian that's like telling people in the comedy world about your podcast. And uh, he reached out to me and was like, hey, I listened to that. Dennis has a podcast. Do you want to be a guest on my podcast? I think your story is interesting. Yeah. And uh, that four years ago, I don't know. It's been a long time. I've been longer. And then um, that same year after I first did my first, I've done his show four times. And after the first one, uh, we met up in Vegas. And I finally got to like actually meet him in person, um, along with Nate Mavis, the co-host. And uh, yeah, we just kind of hit it off and found that we have a lot in common. Yeah. Andrew likes teaching. I like teaching. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and we just kind of have similar backgrounds, both being from Maryland and everything. So, we were instant friends, and uh, everything was going very smoothly until um, Carlos knocked me off the top spot, and now Andrew doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and and we we birthed Carlos into this world, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we, did we sure. take credit for that. <laughs> not not Derek and I personally, but we, <laughs> having an odd family, a really weird, weird visual. But no, that, yeah, yeah. So, but he he's run with with Andrew, which is awesome because Carlos is a yeah. awesome guy. Yeah, I love. Him. He's awesome. So so I, I I'm pretty sure I heard your first appearance because I I recall um I recall that that you know sort of you you getting acquainted and and that 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 story and I'm pretty sure I heard your last appearance because I heard you talking about the the main um. We have. How has your game changed and progressed? Because you know, it seems like you've definitely. Um, I wouldn't call you, you know, an amateur back the first time I heard, but it sounds like you're definitely more of a pro now than you were then. Is that true? I mean, how long have you been playing? What's your split between the com- you know, the comedy and and the uh, the poker? Is it is it equal, or, or how do you how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as dual careers, or 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 comedian who plays poker on the side? Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm both a professional comedian and a professional poker player. But only the only thing I mean by that is that uh, in most of the games that I sit down, I'm a favorite. Um, I make about half my income from poker, but I'm Got certainly it. trying to, uh, you know, sit with the uh, German guys that travel together and play all the super high rollers. I don't right. have any 
<laughs> delusions yeah. about exactly where my skill level is. But um, I would agree with you that listening to earlier um, appearances on the podcast with Andrew from many years ago uh, to now my game has gotten much sharper. Um, I credit that to just, you know, talking poker with players that are much better than I am and, and making friends, people that I can really learn from, uh, including Andrew. And also uh, I have to give a shout out to my other coach, um, Anton Wig, who is a name you guys might not know, but he's a great, great player from Sweden. And I actually spend a, quite a bit of time in Sweden. And uh, whenever I do, I get together with Anton and we, we talk about poker and stuff. And he's uh, a great guy and a great poker player himself. Nice. That's great. Now, was, was Andrew's sort of being introduced into Andrew's podcast sort of your entree into more of the poker world? Because I, I, I agree with you. Once you get in, you know, it, once you make poker friends <laughs> and you hang around poker people and, you, you know, you go back after a tournament and there's, you know, four or five people that you could talk to about the hands – it does change. It does change a lot, right? And it changes. It changes. It, it really, you know, levels you up. Was was that? Is that how that started for you, or 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 you know, or were you already getting into it around that? Well, time? I, think, I think I was getting into it a little bit before that. I guess about eight years ago, I went to uh, Melbourne, Australia, for the Aussie Millions. I had won a seat. Oh, okay, okay. I had won a seat on Cake Poker, and uh, oh God, I remember. Cake, yeah. Yeah. So I won this like thirty dollars satellite and won this huge package to the Aussie Million. And when I was out there, um, I actually booked a, a gig at a comedy club as well. So um, I I had met Tony Dunst once or twice before, and then he and I ended up at the same table in the Aussie Millions. And I told him, Hey, by the way, tomorrow night I have a comedy show. And Tony came to that show and brought like ten or twelve like a-list poker pros <laughs> that's actually where i met anton along with uh -huh. and Boston and like all the american guys that were in australia for the aussie millions like all of these like you know top how many poker players could i just have to say their first name and you know exactly who yeah, yeah, yeah 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 I, I remember a story like that from my like the first world series after we started tpe and you know the pros were our entree into that world and um, I remember just going to a dinner break, some sushi place, and it was like all of the online wizards of 2010 were, were there, yeah. right? And they, and they were just like, I was sitting around, I was like, wow, first of all, they're all 15 years younger than me. And I'm like, wow, these these are like the names on 2 plus 2, and they're all just people putting raw fish in their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is really interesting. We had like a high-stakes kickball game with um, – <laughs> Let's see, like, I, I mean, like, Mormon was there. Yeah. Jason uh, Kuhn. Like, I mean, I could go on and on. Pretty much everybody that you would, like, like your fantasy team of poker. Maybe not your fantasy team of kickball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Jason Kuhn is on that team, but no yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, he crushed the ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but some of these other guys, it was a little bit sad, uh, yeah. myself included. I didn't, right. I didn't belong to any athletic endeavor. But, um, yeah, we had a great time, and then I kind of remained friends with uh, a few of those guys over the years and kind of got me into more uh, – I mean, I don't want to say, like, the fraternity, but I felt like I kind of – I had a little bit more just knowledge of how the top players really think, um, aside from just listening to interviews with them and stuff, but being able to, like, pick the brains of some of the 
really, really high level pros kind of changed my life because I started thinking about the game differently just from those conversations. And then would change my approach when I sat down to play. Hmm. Yeah. Great. Very cool. So I'm kind of curious at some point in your life, obviously you, you had to make some decision about a career. So was there literally a time where you were like, I'm going to be a poker player and a comedian, or did you say, well, I'm going to be a comedian and I'll just kind of play poker on the side or you know, yeah. or vice versa. Like, it's, just, it's obviously a one of one of them is a unique career, and to have them both as a career is obviously incredibly unique. So I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it kind of just happened. I uh, I was trying to get my comedy career started. Before that, I was a musician. I was also an actor, um, and I had just kind of gotten into comedy, and I was just trying to get my feet wet in comedy and I was only getting like one or two nights a week where I was finding opportunities to perform. And I said, you know, unless I can uh, make some money, I'm going to have to like start auditioning for acting roles again or figure out another way to make some money. So, and I really didn't want to do that. I was kind of disenchanted with acting and I was really wanting to get into comedy. So I said, well, maybe I can just go to Atlantic city and, you know, once or twice a week and play in some cash games, maybe some of the small tournaments there and see if I can, you know, try to pay my rent that way. So I would jump on the bus from New York to Atlantic City, not even have a hotel room half the time and just <laughs> play all night and take the early bus back in the morning. Uh, and that was going fine. And one day I actually met a comedy club owner at the poker table. So I, I was making this guy laugh at the time, I remember we were playing a $60 tournament at the Taj Mahal. Rest in peace, Taj Mahal. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's so, a flashback. Yeah, really. Uh, and this guy next to me says, hey, man, you're, you're pretty funny. You know that? I was like, oh, thanks. You know, I'm actually an aspiring comedian. And he said, well, allow me to introduce myself. My name's Al Martin, and I own Broadway Comedy Club in New York City. And I said, oh, hi, Mr. Martin. I'm Clayton Fletcher. I've heard of you. <laughs> and <laughs> I've always wanted to meet you. I ended up spending, you know, the next 10 hours playing at the table with him and we became friends. And it was funny because sometimes you think that you have to, it's who you know, but you never know where you're going to meet somebody that can actually end up helping you. And uh, yeah, he and I have been friends ever since. I work at his clubs and he really helped me a lot with my comedy. And I actually taught him a lot about poker. So we have a mutually beneficial relationship going on eight years now. That's awesome. And so, I, you know, I know this is the poker podcast and we'll get to the poker in a second, but, the, you know, <laughs> your unique story does, you know, is intriguing. I think people are interested in it, would be interested in it. I mean, how, how what's it like being a comedian? I, I know that's a very broad question, but, um, you know, I've, I've listened to a ton of podcasts from comedians, so I, you know, got a little bit of the inside, but you're living the life. I mean, what, what is it like to write sets and, you know, workout material. How, how does that? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it mu- much like you know? If you listen to say um, like WTF or like a Pete Holmes podcast, um, where or even like the Nerdist, where they're kind of breaking down the comedy process. You know, w- can you can you give us a, a, a feel for what that's like being a comedian? Yeah, sure. Um, I actually think it's not that different from being a tournament player because we. We both have to spend a lot of time away from the job site, (laughs) be that belt or the stage, kind of thinking about what we're going to do the next time we 
have to perform. And so I, uh, it's very similar the way we discuss hands. I'll sit down with uh, other comedians. Uh, actually, I'm friends with Pete Holmes, or I should say I, I was friends with Pete Holmes. He and I started in stand-up around the same time many years ago. And uh, he was someone that I used to talk to about jokes, kind of the, very similar to the way poker players discuss hands. Comedians yeah. might get for coffee and say, man, I have this bit I've been working on. You know, it's about my shoes come in sizes that are 11 and a half, 12, 12 and a half. And I can't make it work. What do you think about this joke? And then the other guy will say, well, what, why don't you try it like this? No, well, I have an idea that might make it funnier. And, you know, we kind of bounce ideas off of each other. Right. Like that was very, very similar to what poker players do. But, you know, both, I kind of need both in my life because I don't think that I would be a happy person if I just played poker full time. And I know that I wouldn't be a happy person if I only did comedy. Right. I need to two separate things to obsess about. <laughs> in order <laughs> and go to the field. I know exactly what you mean. It's nice to, yeah, yeah I know exactly. I, I love what I love about poker is that um, you know, since it's not my full time job, when I do get to go do it. Um, especially the tournament format. I, I mean, I have to shut everything else off. I, I can't be in my head around daily work stuff. It's just, you can't do, you, you, you really become completely absorbed into the moment at, at, in poker. And I, I feel like it helps me with my work because I can truly sort of break for a little while and, and allow sort of like, you know, divergence from all the things I've been working on to, to kind of help me converge later on to, to, to newer ideas. So I, I, I completely understand needing the, the two the two to be present in your life. It's yeah, and I guess for me, the, the dream job might be something like what Joe Stapleton has. Um, yeah. I'm sure most of the listeners know who he is, but he's a, a stand-up comedian. He's also done a lot of comedy writing and improvisational comedy. Um, and, you know, he, he does on camera for ESPN and Poker Stars, yeah. uh, where, you know, it's kind of expected that he's going to be funny uh, I kind of yeah. got my feet wet in that a little bit I got to do some commentary for uh, Poker Central on the Twitch stream that they did during the World Series uh, this summer and that was oh, nice. a little taste of wow just really able to combine my two talents uh, together in a, in a meaningful way so yeah that's, that's kind of what I would love to get into if I could just write my own story other than you know instead of getting 28 I got first. <laughs> <laughs> so um, before we move on to poker, then, if any w if anyone listening wants to hear some of your stuff, um, wh where's the best place to find some of your work or, or sample some of your work? Yeah, definitely. So if you want to um, hear me do poker commentary with David Tuckman, um, you can go on twitch.tv slash poker central, and you can watch... Uh, all of the final tables. We did the, um, let's see, we did the the Millionaire Maker together. Uh -huh. We also did the uh, the 50K High Roller at the end. Oh, it nice. Was going same time as the uh, main event. Uh, so I think a lot of people missed what we were doing, but it was a stacked final table Yeah. with uh, Wait, you know, a lot of the top names. Wait, did you you did the was the millionaire maker the one with the guy who celebrated prematurely? Was that oh, the yeah. one? Was that? <laughs> yes, was that it one? was. And, and and you, you're, the, you're the you're the call on it. I did not do that one. I did uh, the 
I'm telling the listeners the wrong one to watch, but you're right. That was the Millionaire Maker, where the guy gets really excited and then <laughs> up on uh, like ESPN, like Sports Center that night because that guy just <laughs> the premature celebration. That was oh great. man, yeah. Um, actually, at, at this moment, I can't think of what the other tournament that we did together was. Oh, you know what it was? It was the little one for one drop. Oh, okay, That's- there you go. There you go. Yeah, because we kept talking about the charity and everything. So nice. Yeah. Check that out, and you can watch us do the the table. Now, I met uh, Joe Stapleton. I got a great story how I met him. So uh, in New York, I have a show that I run at one of the comedy clubs, and I'm kind of in charge of the show. Um, and I get this email out of the blue. Now, I knew Joe Stapleton's name because way back in the day, I used to listen to Poker Road Radio like it was two my job. I love Two Jacks. I love all the shows on Poker Road. I, I listen to every single thing they put out. Cash Plays with Bart Hansen. Yep, uh, yep. I love that too. Wow. Total junkie. So I get this random email. Hey, I'm a comedian from LA. I'm going to be in New York for the weekend. And somebody told me that you have a show. I was wondering if I could get a five-minute spot. Please let me know if there's any way this can happen. Sincerely, Joe Stapleton. And I was like, is this the same Joe Stapleton from Poker Road? And he's like, yeah. I was like, there is nobody in New York that could have been a better person for you to email. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I hooked him up. I got him as many spots as I could. I was like, I just want to thank you for entertaining me for hours and hours and hours when I was kind of learning the game. So, uh, yeah. So now he and I are really good friends. Um, just awesome. saw him the other day because I'm in L.A. now and he lives there too. So, uh yeah so that's great that's kind of a fun thing that just kind of happened you think poker is like this isolated world where everybody's just kind of it's every man for himself every woman for herself but the truth is uh we all are more connected than we might realize yep yeah very true it's like especially the sort of it's you know it's not six degrees of separation it's usually literally one (laughs) like if you (laughs) if you know somebody they probably know somebody (laughs) definitely we all know carlos yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Carlos is the Kevin Bacon of the poker world. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That'd be a fun game to play on the podcast. It really would be. <laughs> new podcast. There we go. Yeah, new podcast. <laughs> Carlos. Oh, that's funny. So uh, I, I know we want to get uh, talking about your, your World Series appearance because I want to I want to kind of ask you about just what that's like being that deep and everything. But I did have one more question on the comedy side just because the Pete Holmes thing came up and I love that show crashing. Yeah. How much of that is accurate in the sense of like when you're coming up, you have to stand on the corner handing out flyers and stuff to earn your spot on the stage. <laughs> oh yeah. In New York, uh, stage time is so hard to get. And it, it's literally the only way to get really good at comedy is to get stage time. And there are just for every one spot, there are 20 or 30 or maybe even 40 comics trying to get that one spot. So uh, when you're first coming out, if you're not if you're not an established professional, you you'll have to you know wash the dishes or hand out flyers or I mean it's a hundred percent true. In fact, on TV it actually might be uh, not as hard as it is in real life um, watching the show. Yeah, I mean we know comics that will basically bend over backwards just to get an opportunity to perform for free for five minutes for three people wow. in the audience. Right. So just, yeah, it's, you know, the, everybody says it's the hardest profession in the world is trying to make it in show business. 
But I think within show business, comedy is the hardest (laughs) of all of the different types of entertainment. And I've done a lot of them. I was a musician, an actor. I've done a lot of different things within the performing arts. And comedy is is the hardest to kind of get started. But what's great about it is, and why we fall in love with it, is you get to tell the truth and be yourself. And I mean, of course, it's an exaggerated version of myself, but there's something really um, satisfying to be able to perform, but not have to like wear a costume. Yeah. And act. Right. And have a so, and you're, and, you're kind of, and it's kind of like that whole thing of being your own boss and all that. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. They just tell me what time to be there and how much, what time to get off. And as right. long as everybody laughs, they don't care what happens in between. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic. All right. The main event. So Diego and I have both, of course, had the opportunity to play the main event and, we always talk about, and, and everybody who talks about the main event describes it the same way. It's unlike any other poker tournament. It's the greatest tournament in the world. It's what every player aspires to play in. Um, how stoked do you get <laughs> every summer when it's time to play uh, the World Series of Poker main event? Uh, I would never miss it for for anything. I, I, it's the one thing that I probably look forward to the most all year. And I, you know, I do a lot of really fun comedy shows. I get to go to a lot of cool places, take a lot of great trips and, you know, hang out with famous people sometimes and all the good, cool things that happen in my life. My favorite thing is the main event. So I cannot overstate how much I look forward to it. I'm like a little kid on Christmas morning and I'll, I've never lost. I've played it nine times. Um, three years ago, I got 96 plays. So I finished in the top 100. And back then I never thought that I would get that far again. So to be able to get there again this summer and actually top my previous high was uh, something that I just, I don't think the odds of it happening were very good. And I actually can't really believe that it happened, to be honest. Did you go an extra day this time around or or was it just that you... Yeah, you did, right? You went an extra day? Yeah, wow. I was the last person to bust on day six. Okay, wow. Got as far. (laughs) Far, I busted right before dinner on day five. Okay. So there's a Got big it. difference. There's a lot more poker to yeah. play. And you know, when it gets down, when you're looking around, there's only four tables left. You're like, holy, this is happening. Yeah, yeah this is happening. Yeah, because yeah, when you, uh, you know, obviously people are kind of aware of this, but when you when you start, you look around and you're like, there are so many effing people to go through here. Yeah. And this is just my day. <laughs> like this is my starting day. There's two other starting days. The the idea of making it down to four tables is unfathomable to me. In the main event, you know, like it just <laughs> like looking around and going, oh, it's it's one of us that's going to be eight million dollars richer. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 This year was almost nine million. It was eight point eight. Wow. So closer to nine million, and uh, just just realizing that the opportunity was there and yet it's really far away because at the end of day six there they get down to three tables and then there's still like three more whole days to play right yeah, yeah so it's you're close but you're not as close as you might think so um, do you but yeah do you in his own do you think um take separating you know variance from it and 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 separating um well, so, so just as far as 
I, I'm curious, like, oh, okay, separating variance and separating your progression of skill from your 96th place to your 28th place, do you think that your experience going deep once made a difference for you in going deep the second time? Were you able to draw on that? Do you think it had any impact? Did it, did it help you? I think it did in the sense that three years ago, I was not as aware as I was this year of how the lights camera action would affect my opponent. But having seen it already a few years ago, I was more prepared for their reaction than I was three years ago. If you know what I'm trying to say, it's just like for me, I don't think it affected me because honestly I'm used to attention and I wasn't that thrown off by, I've had cameras in my face before and, and stuff like that just from my other career. So it didn't really throw me off. But I remember seeing uh, some very strange play just because there were cameras around uh, back then. So that helped me prepare for what I might see this time. Fascinating. Uh, Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious. So we didn't really do a post-World Series show this year. So we didn't get a lot of time to talk about sort of the characters who made the final table and what what we thought of them, what the public thought of them. Um, did you? I assume you played with a bunch of those guys or several of the guys from the final table. It, it, I, would, I think I would argue, and it seems like most people did, that maybe it wasn't as tough of a final table this year, but you obviously played with some of these guys, so do you have thoughts on that? Definitely. Um, I played with, I think, everyone who made the final table at some point I had played with. Um... And I saw some very unusual poker on day six. And I was looking around like, wow, this is, uh, I mean, at my day six table, there was Joe Cata and mm-hmm. central winner, um, John Sin, mm-hmm. and myself. And then the other players at the table, by and large, seemed like they just came from like outer space. <laughs> but these, like, like video game characters it felt like I was in a poker video game or something I mean it was wild I mean some of the you know like my friends at home were watching the chip counts and like oh Clayton has 12 million and then five minutes later Clayton has 5 million and then yeah. he has 14 million it was yeah. like we were playing these huge pots where you know it was pretty much wild it was it felt like a wild home game where everyone was drunk or something (laughs) but that wasn't no one was drunk they were just that's how they play poker it was just crazy every pot at my day six table was huge it seemed wow do you do you think that represents some sort of adjustment to the current sort of game theory optimal you know blanket across strategy um you know do you think people are adjusting and changing their game now that people are playing a, a similar way for a couple of years now or or is it just do you think short small sample you know the way people are playing my perception of what was going on was that many of my opponents didn't have a ton of tournament experience uh, okay and they didn't know that you're allowed to fold and just let the other guy have it and that you're supposed to get bluffed sometimes <laughs> and they they seem to be trying to prove like everyone seemed to be trying to get the title of king of the hill Wow, and yeah, it was a very uh, unusual situation. No one seemed to be 
affected by the reality of just the sheer amount of money that was at risk or at stake. Um, and so you just had to kind of buckle up. Actually, Johnson and I, coming back from dinner on day six, we happened to be in the same elevator. And we had some, you know, just a brief elevator conversation, like, wow, what a table we have. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> just buckle your seatbelt or something like that. And uh, yeah, because he yeah. went to he, he took it he went deep um, previously too, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, he had finished. I think told me in eleventh place, maybe yeah. last. Even so, he he had been there before as well. So he and I were kind of the and of course Joe Cat. The three of us were seemed to be the the ones that seemed to to have the most um, composure, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I've made some mistakes. Uh, but you know what? Every time I play poker, I make lots of mistakes. Uh, I do consider myself a serious player. I think of myself as a professional, but I don't think that I don't think that means that I'm I play perfect poker. I mean, I, every time I sit down and play, I mess some stuff up. And you know, just this time, some of the hands that I would play differently were shown on either yeah. ESP or on Poker Go. And so, you know, and then of course people. The whole point of putting something on television is so people can talk about it, you know. So, but fortunately for me, I'm I'm from the comedy world, so I have a thick skin already. Yeah, so I can take criticism that I got for the hands that I maybe didn't play optimally. But you know what I did is I played my best, and uh, it was again good enough to get me into the top 100. Uh, but yeah, John Sin was the short stack at my table for almost the whole day, and wow. he just. If you watched the day six on Poker Go, you'll see like he was always short. Like, he had one move. He waited and went all in, and then everybody folded and then waited and then went all in. And when he finally got chips, he bluffed them off. And, uh, and then he came all the way back again and obviously ended up winning the title. But it, it felt more than in any other previous year that it truly was anyone's game. Right. Right. Awesome. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we talk about a couple of hands from from the tournament? I think you 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 said you had one or two that um, that you thought was worth talking from a strategy perspective. Uh, Definitely. You want to set them up for us? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to do so. And I want to say before I start, um, I've been appearing on a lot of poker podcasts since the main event, and I made a point of choosing hands that I haven't talked about anywhere else, so that awesome. get the exclusive. How did <laughs> screw this hand up <laughs> <laughs> so you won't uh, see this mistake anywhere else <laughs> yeah this over here on tournament poker edge uh, <laughs> give you guys a, a scoop if you will yeah so, that's awesome here's a, uh, a hand that i played from day two uh so on day two i started the day with sixteen thousand chips so day one did not go according to plan at all um, but things went pretty well on day two. And before dinner, I had run it up to 140. Wow. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so things were going great. And the blinds were 1,000, 2,000, and there was a 300 ante. And in the main event, everybody puts in the ante, not just the big blind. So there's uh, 5,700 in the pot, and we have 140,000. Uh, we're in the small blind 
and everyone folds to me. And, and so it's just going to be a blind versus blind situation. I have King 10 and my opponent has 105,000. So both of us have, um, you know, about an average stack, maybe a little bit more. I, I guess the average around this time would have been about 80,000. Okay. So it's folded to me in a small blind holding King 10 off stoop. And I should tell you a little bit about my opponent before we talk about what I'm supposed to do here. Um, he's been a pretty tough opponent. Uh, I had Googled him before the day started. I don't have his name written down here, I'm sorry. But uh, he's from Russia, um, typical of most Russian pros. He was very aggressive. Um, he's played probably about 35% of the hand, which is a pretty high V-pip for the main event. Even nine. I think that's pretty high. Um, and he, you know, he tends to try to seize the moment probably more often than your average opponent in the main event. So I'm not saying he's crazy. He knows what he's doing, but his style right. is definitely hyper-aggressive. Right. right. So. Yeah, I don't mind uh, trying first here. So, so, so Clayton, you'll, you get to be the pro here. <laughs> so, uh, so even though you're 50%, uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, typically, uh, typically we get, we get beat up by, Casey on this podcast so you you can you can beat us up um we're used to it uh so um <laughs> so we'll uh we'll 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 tell you what we do and and we'd love to hear what what you actually did or what you think is the right thing um i i personally would just call here and you know given you know that how i would tend lean towards but especially given the profile since he's going to probably try to you know, do something with his position and the situation, I, I'd probably just call here and, and then call a, a raise. I was going to say the exact same thing. I think against a average opponent or certainly a very tight opponent, I would just raise here. But, you know, if we make it like, say, 5K, I don't know, and he, but, and he pops it to 15K, now we're playing this big bloated pot out of position against a tough opponent. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So yeah, I like limping with the intention of calling a raise pre-flop. Okay, uh, I can't really beat you guys up too much for that. Oh, that's not what I did. But yeah. I think that your play has a lot of merit. Um, what I don't like about it is it's a passive play that yeah. kind of forces you to play out of position in what's going to be a somewhat inflated pot. Probably you're uh, kind of letting your opponent take the lead in the hand. And I'm not saying you should always fight aggression with aggression, but I think King-10 is good enough to raise or possibly limp three-bet rather yeah. than limp. Oh, I like that, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's an option I didn't think of, and I yeah. do like that too. But yeah, I definitely don't, I would never, like if somebody told me this hand and said, you know, so I raised from the small blind with King-10, I would never be like, well, that's horrible. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, no, I think it's pretty standard. And the reason why you guys changed your mind is because of my description of the opponent in his hand. But if you think about what the aggressive opponent is trying to get you to do, aggressive opponents want to neutralize everyone else's aggression level through their own aggression, right? I mean, that's part of the strategy of being the most aggressive player at the table is that people kind of like tiptoe into pots with you and then play passively yeah. mm-hmm. against you because they just want to try to control the size of the pot. And that strategy can work, especially if you end up flopping something with which to trap the guy. But I think usually what will happen is if you limp call here, you're going to check fold the flop probably too much. That's and fair. then yeah. like kind of bleeding a lot of money out of the small blind. 
So yeah, um, yeah, I think you're right. I, I think you probably can't. I mean, you probably have to, you know, go further in the same. When you when you limp call, you can't just fold a lot of the flops, right? You're gonna ha- your 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 range is still probably you know better than his, even and which makes it more of a reason for you to to have raised pre flop. But um, if you do, you can't just like you said, you can't just check fold uh, the majority of the flops. You're probably gonna have to. Um, go further. So you're going to be putting more money in anyway. You might as well put in as the aggressor. Is that, is that kind of the, that's, the theory? Yeah. I mean, that's my game theory here is yeah. against somebody like this. Um, we know it's probably going to end up being a contested pot. I don't think I'm usually going to be able to raise and take it. I mean, maybe at the bottom of his range, maybe the bottom 20% of his hand, he's just going to let me have this pot. Um, right. But usually he's going to fight for the pot, either with a call or a three bet. So I open... Um, expecting to get action and actually pretty happy if he calls because I think 10 against his calling range is doing great. Yeah. So, um, and then my my other plan is that if I raise and get re-raised, I put this hand into my four betting range, um, which I know is probably not considered standard, but I feel like you need to have some hands in your four betting range that aren't the nuts. Right. So I feel like those hands should be the best hands that you would normally fold to a three bet are the best hands to four bet. Yeah. With, if you will. That makes so, sense. So, yeah. So I put King 10 into that category. With King 10 suited, I might have a different strategy, but I think that just having this offsuit King 10 is a good hand for me to occasionally, not every time, but occasionally, especially against a player like this. Uh, I'm raising, hoping he three bets so that I can take it down with a four bet. Sure. So, you know, this is like an old school raising war, blind versus blind. So, you know, let's put the gloves on and get in the race, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A lot of the the non-European players um, are are just playing more passively pre-flop, assuming they have a post-flop edge. And then, you know, wanting to get that edge to work for them after the flop. So they keep the pot kind of smaller before the flop. And you see a lot of a lot more calling uh, than you used to. And, and, you know, maybe even five years ago, it was a lot more four betting, five betting pre-flop with, without the nut. But yeah. uh, for me, I think when I'm out of position, I think it's profitable to, to raise and hope that he three bet so that I can four bet, which is what happens here. I make it 4,800. <laughs> and he, he makes it ten thousand five hundred, and then I put in twenty three thousand. So I mean, we could talk about sizing, but I think these numbers are pretty, pretty normal. Yeah, you could quibble a little bit, a thousand here, five hundred there. Right. Uh, yeah, I think. That's... And then he, and then he shoves on me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> five thousand, and uh, I have to fold my hand. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think anyone wants to call. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I think at that point we, 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 we give him. He's got the. Uh, he beat us. <laughs> if yeah. He's just he wins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that in order to do that, you know, he five bet shove. I think in order to do that, he's he's got a really strong range. Like Queens, yeah. even Queens might be scared to do that. I think he's got aces a lot here. So I think I just ran into a really big one. You know, you 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 mentioned his image, but what, by the way, what's your image at this at this point? Yeah, that's, that's what, so relevant. Get into it. Um, I think that my image is well. This guy is just uh, 
a great player because and I don't think that I am a great player. I think I'm a good player, but I think that when you take your stack from sixteen thousand all the way up to one hundred and forty, yeah, yeah, you look like you're the best player in the world. <laughs> right. And even really good players don't often make the distinction. Well, is this guy just getting lucky, or is he happen to be playing that well? Um, the truth is, I was playing well and getting lucky. Yeah, and how I got my stack up to where I did. But all I've done all day is win virtually every pot I enter. Yeah, right. And but your confidence probably has to be through the roof for this yeah. particular point, and you know, kind of exuded a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I try to keep I try to keep my emotions under control. Like I try not to let my results affect my confidence too much. But I mean, I certainly my table image from from the perception. That I that I had, I feel like my opponents were probably not necessarily looking to get involved with me. Right. Uh, so what what hands? Um, not that we're going to try to give away your entire range, <laughs> the ranges you play, but you know you you put the king ten into your your four betting range. Um, what hand? And you know we're open to raise to 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 hopefully four bet. What hands would you just call here with? What, what kind of range do you just, you know, I mean, limp basically complete. Yeah. So I think limp calling, I would like to limp with a lot of really strong hands to uh, four bet or to yeah. three bet rather. So yeah. obviously, like the very top, maybe like aces down to jack. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. that same play with a few other hands just to balance it, maybe like something like an eight, seven of clubs. Maybe like a jack ten of diamonds would be a good candidate to like limp and then three bet, uh, just to balance so that it's not always the nuts when I do that. Yeah. Um, as far as raise calling, I think that a lot of hands should go into that range. Like I think ace ten is probably a good candidate to raise call. Um, maybe like pocket ace, pocket you know those middle pocket pairs are probably good for that. Maybe like a suited ace, like an ace five of hearts would be good to kind of raise and then call the three bet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I kind of construct it that way. I like having a king just because a lot of his really, a lot of his value range when he makes it uh, 10,000, what did he make it? 10,800. A lot of his range for doing that is has king has a king in it. Yeah. When it's a value hand, yeah. so yeah. having a king block or whatever. Um <laughs> But yeah, obviously, I didn't block pocket aces, and I think that's probably what my opponent had to put it. <laughs> yeah, I do like that range of hands that you talked about for limp calling, because they're all very relatively easy hands to play post flop, even though you're out of position. You know, things like ace five suited, or or some small pocket pairs, things like that. Because you're basically just you're going to play your hand pretty flop dependent. So it's you know maybe even like uh, I was going to say maybe like king queen suited, but that might that's probably more of a raise hand for me but you get the idea like i think it's kind of cool to to think about which hands to play which way in that exact scenario yeah definitely and especially when uh this scenario could happen again today and we you know we're fairly deep it's yeah. not like we're playing short stack poker here i mean we, i can four bet hold so i have chips. um so I, yeah i think it's important to kind of construct your range that way and i know a lot of times like on podcasts you like to talk about hands that actually went to flop, but I feel like this one was kind of an important hand because it's the first significant pot that I lost that day, and I think that it really did something to my table image, mm-hmm. um, which is one reason I wanted to talk about it, uh, because 
I think after that, it was like, oh, maybe this guy's just been bullying us all day. You know, it, it uh, kind of raised a lot of doubt. Right. You know, how did this guy go from 16,000 to 140,000 in these three or four hours we've been playing with him? And now we just saw him four bet fold. And when you see somebody four bet and then fold, because for so many players, the third raise is like always aces and kings. When they see somebody do it without one of those hands, then they, they, they definitely notice. So this hand kind of put a spotlight on me, I think, yeah. as far as yeah. Their mind. And, and you know, I also find it interesting because I think it, I think it's representative of a situation that um, a lot of people have try to, you know, from a psychological perspective, need to deal, learn to deal with is in that you were on this, not, not just from your image perspective, but you were on this run of momentum, right? Um, you know, going yeah. from, from 16 to 140. And this is the first setback. It sounds like the first bump in the road that you hit along the way, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. how, how, how do you, especially in the main event, how, you know, you, you know, how do you just, you know, do you, are you counting your chips and now you're like, now I have 117 and are, are you, you know, how do you, how do you avoid your, your own momentum swing? And, and I know you said you try to be level headed along the way, but you know, we're human. How do you, how do you avoid your own sort of inner um, peace from being disturbed by, by your momentum <laughs> being, being stopped um, there? Yeah. Ooh, it's a good question. Yeah. That's a great question. Actually. My answer is, um, the only thing I usually try to think about in these spots in tournament situations is how is what go what just happened going to affect my opponent? So I kind of take the uh, focus off of myself and I just think, you know, I think my opponents might be more likely to pay me off now because yeah. it looks, I'm a big bluffer. Um, they might think that I'm on tilt, so if I happen to pick up a big hand, right away they might think that i'm trying to win back those chips i just lost to this russian guy that's kind of been like you know the the other aggressive player at my table which really no fun to have the other um aggressive pro on your left and i've been dealing with this guy all day um and this is really the first significant and so it looks like you know if it's a battle between the two of us that the other seven players are just observing it looks like the Russian guy finally got a good, landed a really good right hook. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, and and in doing that, it kind of takes it takes my mind off of my own stupid feelings, which are immaterial. Yeah. So, right. That's right. That's right. That's the thing, right? They're immaterial. And and you know, if you had if you had doubled up to one seventeen, you'd be like on cloud nine. <laughs> um, right. Whereas you know, you lose a little bit just from trying something, um, from do you know, from playing what you know in your mind and and, and was likely the the best thing to do at that particular moment. Um, I think that's important too, remembering that you know every you're just trying to make the right decision at every single point, and now your new variables are this stack size and this new situation and information, right? And that's yeah. what keeps. I think it's similar to what you said. That's what keeps me from getting too emotional or too too caught up in in momentum shifts. Uh, exactly yeah. what you said there. And, you know, with all the years that I've spent playing not only poker, but other games, um, you know, I've learned it just doesn't, it doesn't serve me in any way to start feeling sad or, you know, just getting frustrated. Like, it just doesn't serve you. So I've, I've gotten probably better than the average player at handling, I mean, I don't even want to use the word tilt, but just, you know, emotional swings as my... I, the style that I play involves a lot of chip swing. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so, <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Coaster, uh, you got to know that you're going to be going up and down a lot, and that's just yeah. uh, 
how it is. Yeah, I mean, my natural playing style is pretty fast, but I am I'm always changing that style when I realize that my situation doesn't call for. If it doesn't appear to be profitable, I have to be able to change my style. But if you just say all things being equal, how does Clayton approach the game? I like to put pressure on my opponents and put them to difficult decisions. Right. And that involves playing mostly loose aggressive, all things being equal. So I well, you know, you've done this for as many years as I have, you just even in the main event, you're not gonna say, Oh, poor me, I just lost yeah. right. Yeah, you know, <laughs> percent of my stack or whatever you know whatever it was it just didn't really uh affect me that much but i realized that for some of my opponents this would have been considered a catastrophe and so they're thinking in terms that i think it was a catastrophe and that i might even be on tilt now so that is useful later and about 30 minutes after the pan i did the same thing against another player i four bet and this time i had the aces and he jammed with jacks and lost. So, and then afterwards, he told me that he's like, "Well, if I hadn't seen you f- four bet fold before, I probably would have just flat." He actually said that on his way out the door. Yeah. Right. Uh, That's awesome. So the, yeah, great, the image great paid off. <laughs> yeah. Like very, very directly because it looked like yeah. I was doing the thing again. That's cool. Not so. And that's part of running good is when you have an image and you're aware of it, and then you're actually able to find a perfect spot to exploit it like you need all of those things to happen in order you know like the people that stare at each other for 20 minutes (laughs) trying to figure out what to do i don't even know what they're looking for but if they pick something up they need they then need to find a spot to use what they picked up which is another (laughs) variable that probably won't even happen so yeah yeah um well cool let's try uh you got one more hand to talk about here before we wrap up yeah Cool. Yeah, let me pick one that actually goes to a flop. <laughs> Since we just spent 20 minutes on a yeah. flop. Well, you've listened to this podcast before, right? We can go an hour on pre-flop, so it's, it's all yeah. good. It's <laughs> before, I'm a huge fan. Like, I love it. I mean, this is real. This is, you know, for people that are learning the game and picking up the game, this is what poker players do. We have to obsess about all the little decisions, especially ones that come up again and again. Like, you got to know what you've got to do at the spot and construct your ranges and figure this stuff out. But I want to fast forward, if I can, all the way to day four, um, because this is a hand I played against the champ, John Sin, oh, cool. um, who also ended up at my day six table, as I mentioned, but I played with him a little bit on day four as well. And the blinds were 4,000, 8,000 with uh, 1,000 ante. Uh, so there's 2,100 in the pot. Sorry, 21,000, I mean to say, in the pot. Um, we have 1.5 million. So we're doing great. The average was only about 800,000 at this wow. point. Wow, you had yeah, 200 big blinds at this point. Well, wow. okay. They were great. Uh, we have uh, a huge stack. There are 420 players left, and we are in 25th place-ish. So we're one of the top 30 stacks in the tournament. Um, it's a really fun table. People are telling jokes. They found out I'm a comedian and people are telling me jokes like golf jokes and ex-wife jokes and all kinds of like, you know, jokey jokes like from a joke book or an email, uh, which is fun. Like I like when people do that because it kind of gets things loosened up. And, you know, I like to have fun when I'm playing poker. It's not always about like 
trying to make people laugh so that I can get a read on them. It's just, right. I'd rather laugh than not laugh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> some kind of sinister strategy thing. It's just, let's have some yeah. fun. We're playing a card game, you know? Right. So anyway, um, Johnston, on my right, uh, he has about 550,000. So his stack is a little below average, but, you know, it's the main event, so he's not desperate or anything. Yeah. Uh, he opens to 18,000, which is kind of the standard at the table, and he's in the cutoff. And I had pocket nines on the button. Now, the small blind is a, a woman from Malaysia who's been, like, on lockdown, like, super tight. And the big blind is, I think he's probably like a doctor or something. He's actually been reading the newspaper. He's an older guy. He's been like reading the newspaper in between hands, which is kind of unusual nowadays to even see a newspaper. This guy brought one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Deep in the main event. Doesn't even yeah. pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the money, by the way. We're in the money at this point. So, but yeah, he was kind of. Uh, hanging out he was telling me jokes and he was just having a, a grand old time i have a feeling it's kind of like a bucket list thing for him um so yeah it's on okay. me on the button with pocket nine eric you can go first on this one um sin was immediately to your right yeah so he's in the cutoff and i have the butt yeah so i think i like a th- yeah, I like a three bet here. Um, probably make it like forty-two or something like that. You said he made it eighteen, right? So yeah, something somewhere yeah. in that range. Um, I mean, I think our hands. I, I'm I can kind of get behind a, a flat sometimes too, but I don't know if I really want to go like multi-way with my nines because we're not just playing it for set value. Um, so yeah, I think I three bet here. Yeah, I think I I think I agree. Um, I think I probably would say similar. Um, I I think you know I don't think you can go wrong with anything other than folding, right? Um, but I I think I think I would probably three bet for the same reasons. Um, given the situation, your hand is your your range is strong against him. You know you'll be in, you'll be in position. Why not play um, a profitable spot for a higher um, a higher rate? Uh, in, you know, in, when it's presented to you. I think I flat this a decent amount against an early position open. Yeah, it's a different uh, story. But I just think against against a cutoff open, like, yeah. if, especially if we know that this guy is competent, like, he's opening pretty wide here, especially because of who's in the big line. Um, yeah. I mean, did did not, you know? Not to do the old stereotype thing, but, you know. They're, no, sure. yeah. Did, did you know he was gonna win? In that case, fold. <laughs> did, did, yeah, did you, uh, my, my real question was: Did you know that this was the guy who finished eleven two years ago? Like, is, you know, what is your read on him? By the way, my read on him was that he was a good player. Um, he hadn't been uh, extremely aggressive. I think a lot of players, like even professional players, they take a very um, low variance approach to the main event. And uh, maybe in some cases, to the detriment of their win rate, um, they would rather sacrifice a little bit of win rate just in, for the sake of having a better chance of surviving longer. Um, he struck me as that type. Like, he'd been here. I wasn't aware that he'd, he'd been here before, but it, it wouldn't have surprised me had you 
said, hey, by the way, that guy to your right finished in the top 20 last year. Like, that wouldn't have surprised me because he just seemed like he was competent. He wasn't really getting out of line, and I thought that he kind of knew what he was doing. Um, I guess my question before I tell you guys what I do is what's the plan if we three bet and there's more raising? Yeah. Well, before you we, we get into that, what is your image at this point? You have a huge stack. I mean, how did you, how'd you get it? Did they see you get it? Yeah. What, what, what's your image here? Yeah, so I got most of this stack at the other table. Um, okay. I've been at this table for about an hour, and uh, somebody recognized me. Aren't you that comedian? Whatever. And then uh, we were kind of like, it, it, the image was, yeah, there's a fun-loving uh, comedian at, at my table that hasn't really been making that much noise but he showed up with a lot of chips right so i don't I, think i have like a, a table captain kind of image at all if anything i was like a friendly fun loving guy that was just sitting down with a lot of chips and laughing it off yeah i think to your question um i based on what you've said about him like he's he's hasn't been getting out of line he hasn't you you perceive him as the kind of guy who's not going to try to like play giant huge big bloated pots etc cetera, etc cetera. Like I kind of, I kind of think that makes the three bet even cooler because if he four bets, we could probably fairly comfortably fold. Right, um, and then what you lose when you do that is you don't get the chance to hit a stat. True. Right. So, so that's what you lose with that strategy. But what you gain with that strategy is you're probably going to get a lot of raise and take it. You know, if you three yeah. bet, and John's like, well, okay, I tried for this one. Now yeah. this guy hasn't been that crazy. It's like now taken over. So. I'll just let him have I mean, make a note of it or something like that, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair trade-off, and I think that's a good play. I agree that there's no real harm in calling or raising here. I think both are okay. I think folding would have been a mistake. Um, I guess one benefit to maybe flatting, just to look at an alternative perspective, is that based on our the small blind and the big blind, May, you know, the guy reading the newspaper maybe isn't as up on the idea of defending your big blind as much as you should be. You know, oh, no. especially yeah. getting this amazing price. So maybe you know, yeah. maybe my initial thought of raising so that we don't have to play like a three or a four way pot might not be as relevant because we're probably not going to be playing a three or four way pot as often with these two particular people in the blind. Like if it's a, if it's some euro in the big blind, he's going to call every time that you call. Every time because he's totally priced in. But yeah, yeah. this guy doesn't know that he's priced in definitely right. yeah so I, I i'm not as I, I could see a flat being a little cooler in this spot but i think i'm still just I, I, my default here would be to raise i guess yeah and i think that's yeah. probably my default too but i think that it's good to maintain a couple of non-default plays here and there and sure. in this yep. particular case i did choose to just call um i wanted to play on my button i wanted to you know just play the rest of the hand in position keep the pot at a reasonable uh, stack-to-pot ratio against my opponent's effective stack and just see what happens. And I really don't mind if these other players get involved. I mean, yeah. if, if the comes really bad for me or there's a lot of action after the flop, I can just hold nines. Yeah, it's not that good a hand. I don't care that much about nine. Yep. I don't think I need to uh, cry if I have to get if I end up getting outplayed with my nines. Even if it's not yeah. the right. So, yeah, I this time, but I, I definitely see the value in three betting it. Um, my three betting range is pretty wide here. It's a lot of suited aces. It's any pair higher than nines, and sometimes nines as well. Sometimes eights, and then you know obviously like the ace ten plus 
I think it's a good three betting range, probably king, queen to three bet. So there are a lot of three betting hands, but then I need to balance yeah. my call. You know, all the pairs are calling, a lot of suited connectors are calling, jack tens calling, like those kind of hands where I just want to defend my button, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the big blind also calls. So the three of us see the flop. Uh, and the flop is eight, six tray with two spades. So it's an eight, six tray with a six tray of spades, eight of hearts. So we have an over pair. The big blind checks and John bets 26K into, uh, I should have done this math before, but it's 22,000 plus 36,000 plus 10,000, whatever that is. So it's a really small bet. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I don't, I certainly don't think we can fold. Right. Uh, So, but I also don't think I'm in love with raising. So, in fact, I kind of hate raising, so I think I'm just going to call here. Yeah, I mean, I do this. I do the same thing, and if it's a if it's a leak when we've identified one, I just, I, yeah. I, I although I, I just hate you know when you get paint on the turn or the, or the river, right? Um, then you're kicking yourself for not doing something. But I do think that you know I'm not folding a turn if an ace or king comes, right? So so I'm just going to just call here and and just see what happens if if anything bigger comes out. Yeah. Um... If you think about the hand from John's perspective, suppose he has something that beats us, like pocket jacks, right? Um, this is a pretty draw-heavy flop. Eight, six, three, probably yeah. the big blind has a range advantage. Um, there are a lot of draws that are possible. Um, gut shots, flush draws, there's a lot out there that he should be worried about. And so for that reason, I think that his bet is too small no matter what he had yeah mm-hmm. um, that's i agree with that yep yeah i found that interesting uh i'm still trying to do the math um i'm not good at doing this kind of math in my head but i think that he's betting 26 into something like 60 yeah it's like 60 64 65 something like that yeah. so that's a pretty small bet for the situation um yeah. and i agree that raising is bad because i can't get called by worst and i'm always getting called by better so yeah. I just call and uh, the big blind folds. So now I got what I wanted. I'm heads up in position with the over pair. And I think that my hand is probably good at that point yeah. because of the size of his flop bet. Mm-hmm. And maybe I put too much stock into people's sizing, but I definitely think that most players reveal a lot through their bet sizing. People aren't good yet at balancing their bet sizing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I read the bet size as like, all right, if these guys have like king jack and and you know and and ten queen, they're just gonna fold here. Um, Then he's stabbing at it for that. I know it's I know it's very draw heavy, but that that seems to me with that small size is it's one of those things where it's like any it's it's that size where any size gets where where it will be the same result. Yeah, exactly what I was gonna say, Derek. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like it doesn't matter the size. Just a bet gets gets if if your opponents have the right hands, they will fold to 15k as, right. as, as they will fold to 50k, right? So 26 is fine in that case, and he doesn't put more in 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 the other case, which gives me the indication that he probably doesn't have much. Right. So it felt like not much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with everything you just said as far as reading that size. And yeah, like if if I have. 
Queen Jack and the big blind has like ace four. Yeah. Then we're both folding for twenty six. But yeah. since now announced that I have something, uh, I'm not expecting him to um, continue very often. Yeah. So the turn is the deuce of diamonds. So uh, no flush yet, but the five four got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he bets 35 into 120 or whatever. Wow. <laughs> so weird. This is where, this is where I'm really happy that I have 1.5 million so that I can call here again and not feel too terrible about it. <laughs> when I, when yeah. I find out that he like has four or five or he has a set of eights or something. Um, right. but I mean, I just think we're just getting too good of a price. He could be kind of doing this weird, like sort of small betting thing too, trying to like get, I mean, he could have spades, um, so he's just trying to like, you know, not check to you so that you bet, you know, fifty-eight k or something, and get him to, you know, make him fold his flush draw or something. But yeah, we used to call that a defensive bet. Yeah, a block. Yeah, blocking bet, like where you you bet smaller than what you're willing to call. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so fine. that's that. a possible explanation for what's going on here. I was honestly very surprised that he bet again, and even more surprised at how small he bet. Like, what the heck hand is doing this? Um, yeah, so I found it odd, to say the least. But I had to call him. I mean, I don't, I don't see any other play not getting that price. And if he's just, you know, if he's owning me with jacks, then he's really good. You know, good for him. Yep. And, and I'm, I'm not raising here because I don't, I don't see what, what, you know. What the point? I, I sure I'm missing. I could be missing something, but the, the raise it feels like if he raises, if I raise, you're only just getting worse hands to fold, um, and you might be inviting um, a draw to to to, to do something um, here, when, which you don't want to do. But is there any any justification for raising it? Would you ever consider it? Or yeah, I mean, it's right, and he could have a flush draw a lot. Then raising is good, just because. It charges the flush draw, uh, yeah. you know, a much larger. But like, if you think your opponent is betting small because he doesn't want you to bet big, then raising is usually a great play. Yeah. Um, but you know, if I would have had, a, if I had a strong read that that's what was going on here, then I probably would have raised because I like to figure out what my opponents want me to do and then disappoint them wherever possible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, but I wasn't that sure. I did consider that as a possible explanation for this tiny bet. But I just, I wasn't sure enough to commit to the play. So I just called and said, you know what, if he's bluffing me with a spade, then he can, you know, he probably has to bluff again on the river if it doesn't come in. So I have a good bluff catcher. I think nines are a really good bluff catcher situation, Mm -hmm. but they're not a good value raise. If I'm raising, it's definitely not for value. I don't, I I think I can maybe get called by an eight. Like if you have something like ace eight, then I can, value right he has to pay off with that but other than that i can't really think of too many hands that that i'm beating when i'm called yeah uh, i think you explained that exactly what i was trying to say there um so oh cool good yeah, yeah. good yeah. So, uh the rivers is six of diamonds so we pair the board the final board is eight six tray deuce six and there's no flush so um i think it's a great card for me yeah uh you know, was you know maybe he has three sixes now, but I'm willing to fade that possibility, and I'm ready to call another small bet. Um, 
the pot is now something like 190 and my opponent bets 120 <laughs> wow which is not expected at all yeah at this moment so i really i mean i don't tank very often and in fact i got i kind of got famous this summer for calling the clock on people because i hate slow poker but i definitely took my time in making this decision yeah this is this is a really weird spot and this this is where i don't think enough so i think it's to your credit that you did tank um because I kind of made my decision on the turn, um, what you know, already thinking ahead of a card like this. I, I, you know, and maybe once again, I just I should stop and think a little bit more. But I, I, feel, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just calling here. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's bad, but I never even will consider folding. folding. <laughs> uh, and I, yeah. So I don't know. Here's what happened. It's weird because uh, I think. This is where we have to really think, try to think about what those small raises, or sorry, small bets meant. Because if he was on a spade draw and he was making, as we call them, defensive bets or blocking bets, then he might think to himself, well, I didn't hit my spade, but now my only chance to win this hand is to bomb this river. Yeah. And And, and that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. Why I'm, I mean, I didn't say that. I should, maybe it's my instinct that feels that, but you, you, you explained why I'm. Almost instantly calling, but continue with your. Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, if he, um, he also can think, well, my opponent can have missed spades here a bunch, so I can take this down with a bunch of ace high type hands, so, yeah. etc. Yeah. But he could, but you know, when we call and he flips over eights, we're like, oh, well, that makes perfect sense too. <laughs> you know, like the missed draws or the trying to get us off a missed draw both make sense, but so does like a full house or quads or you know um but that being said it doesn't bother hand, me i think our hand doesn't is bother me if he has that yeah i agree i agree and i was gonna say i think our hand is under wrapped and i think we have i think we just have we're gonna win the pot enough here i think when we call to to make a call so okay. I'm, call, but I'm, I'm also really bad at making big folds so <laughs> oh okay well that's good uh, <laughs> good to know about <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't bluff um, me because I hate the fold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's a good image to have. Uh, so he's put in forty percent of his stack at this point. Yeah, um, does that affect anybody's thinking at all? Does that change how easy this call is? Not, not re- not really. I mean, I, it's hard because I know the guy's name <laughs> and I know he's the. You know, I I know he's a good player, but if I feel like the guy has been playing solid and feels like a pro, I, I think I think that's you know I think I'm going to give him credit for being able to to do that against me who who has played very passively in this hand. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I just yeah. 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 If we had raised at some point in this pot, or we were the aggressor, I think it becomes a much different hand. But we've just played so passively that it just looks like a draw that that we had or. A pretty weak, you know, like we might have ace eight or ace six that he thinks he can get to fold. So I think just based on the way we played our hand, we almost—I don't want to say we have to call because we never have to do anything. But yeah, I definitely was <laughs> wasn't expecting this huge bet after he made these smaller bets. Now, I mean, I know I know this bet is only about sixty sixty-five percent of the pot. So, but in that sense, it's not a huge bet. But 
compared to the percentage of the pot that he was betting on all other streets, it's a really yeah. big bet. Yeah. So it wasn't as easy a call for me as it seems to be for you guys, but I did eventually make the call and he threw his hand in the muck. So mm. wow. uh, that was a good one because that pot took me to almost two million. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> a good feeling to like you know be at that point. I had a top ten chip stack late on day four of the main event, which is a makes it really hard to sleep when you <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i was gonna ask you just i mean after that how, how do you how what does it feel like going going to bed with the big stack in day four five yeah. on the main event <laughs> and i've done it a few times now but yeah. really an any bracelet event like go to bed as chip yeah. leader yeah. Uh, whatever how many players you look at who you're going to play against the next day you look at the stacks other people have at your table and it's just so hard to shut down. Like that's one of the hardest things for me is kind of at the end of a 12 hour day of poker, just turning it off and going to bed and like just resting. My brain has been working so hard for so long all day to just be able to turn it off. Um, that is something that I struggle with and I, I hardly got any sleep. I was getting four or five hours a night throughout the main event just cause I love it so much. And I was so excited. Yeah. I couldn't wait for the next day so I could play some more and just, yeah. uh, it's really hard to just like wind down. I understand why certain players use certain substances. Right. Both to get to sleep and to wake up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, nice. um, but yeah, those are kind of two of the hands that I hadn't talked about anywhere else that I, I wanted to run past you guys. Uh, yeah, I was kind of surprised that he bet so much, but I guess, you know, in the old days we used to say, well, when you're, bluffing you're trying to buy something and when you're trying to buy something you want to try to get it as cheaply as possible yeah mm. when you're value betting you're trying to sell something this yeah. is from system i didn't make this stuff up but you know when you're when you're value betting you're, you're trying to sell something so you want to sell it for as high a price as possible yeah. so when i first started playing the limit hold'em you know 10 or 12 years ago you would find uh big bets were usually value and small bets were usually lost but yeah. I think, you know, especially good players, like they've just learned to balance that yeah. sizing. You know, my best guess is that he he missed his spade. And so then he knew the only way he could win the pot was to bomb it on a river. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'd be way more scared of that bet if you guys had had a history and he knew more about how you play. Because then, yeah. then that 120 has a lot more thinking behind it. Right, and a lot more nuance, and a lot more targeted towards you and how you play. I'd, I'd be much, much more worried about it if that if that was if he had history with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sense. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Awesome. I know. Uh, I know you have a dinner to get to, so I want to. I want to let you go, but I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on the show with us, and uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. Hopefully, maybe we can do it again sometime. Uh, maybe next year after you win the main event. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have to... Oh yeah. Okay. We'll go heads up. You and me. Heads yeah. up. <laughs> All right. All right. Do it. Thanks, guys. Cool. Cool. All right, Thanks, Clay. Clayton. Pleasure meeting you, man. Uh, continue good luck. And and uh, I'm in New York, so I plan on uh, coming to see you. Any anything you want to plug? Uh, I know you mentioned the. Uh, the uh, Poker Central um, uh, stuff. Any any shows or anything? Um, that, you know your website. Anything you want people to go check out? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Clayton Comic. Um, anybody who's coming to New York wants to see some stand up. 
you can go to theclaytonfletchershow.com and get tickets to see me. I'm usually there on Friday nights. I have my own show. I headline. I have some of the best comics in New York perform along along with me. And I know a lot of poker players like stand-up comedy. So it's always fun that when people show up in the crowd and say, hey, I played with you at Borgata. Or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I always get a kick out of that when people from the poker world converge in my little comedy world. So, yeah, just hit me up at Clayton Comics, and I'd uh, love to hear from some of you guys. Awesome. I'll keep an eye. Great meeting, Clayton. Uh, yeah, and I'll keep an eye on you uh, on the road. Maybe I'll I'll catch you somewhere in the country at some point. That'd be fun. Cool. Well, thanks uh, to Clayton Fletcher. You can follow him, like he said, uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Clayton Comic. And uh, Diego, good to talk to you again, my friend. Um, for everybody out there who uh, is a TP member, make sure you go check out all the new videos that have come out. We got new stuff from uh, well we have a video uh, series with me getting ripped on by Mike <laughs> Aliotto and that's really all you need to know so because we know you guys Always love my that, favorite so, um, so yeah so go check that out it's my favorite and, and we have a we also have a classic uh, big dog Sunday million live sweat I need to that. watch that one I'm behind on my yeah. vids so I'll get yep. to that soon cool so that's it for now um, we are back thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast see ya I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays fold them let them hit me raise it baby stay with me lock in intuition play the cards with babes to start and after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun, fun.